Welcome to the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. Whether you're a student, a graduate, or an early career advisor, join us as we dive into the ins and outs of becoming a financial planner. I'm your host, Azaria Bell, bringing you tips from the experts on career strategy, sanity, and success. Today's episode is focused on what being a financial planner is really like. I'll once again be joined by my friend Mitchell Harrison, financial planner at LBW Business and Wealth Advisors, who has also in the last year stepped into a financial planner's role. We discuss what advisors actually do on a daily basis, the different areas of specialty available, the parts of the jobs we love and don't love, as well as going over some career challenges, values, and advice to the financial planners of tomorrow. I hope you enjoy. Hey Mitch, welcome back to the podcast. Hey Zara, it's good to be back. Today, what I thought we could chat about is in the last episode, we had a chat about our first roles in financial planning, uh, what we were expecting going into it, what the reality was. And I thought maybe today we could have a chat about our careers now as financial planners um, and what we're really doing on a day-to-day basis. So if you're happy for me to jump into that, I'll, I'll start asking some questions. Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. Alrighty, so the first thing I thought we could talk about for anyone who is maybe yet to enter the industry, what does a financial planner do in a general sense? I think that is like the best question to like ask um, because in my experience, anytime I speak to like a grad or not, not necessarily grad, but someone who's still studying it or someone who isn't in the industry, it, like one of the most frustrating things I get from like family and things like that is like, oh, you're just like an accountant, right? Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, no, not even really close to being an accountant because mm. um, the job's so, so different, right? So um, I would describe being a financial planner, at least different to an accountant in the way that you're very people-centric. So it's mm. all about uh, the client and working with the client to help them achieve their goals and needs and that sort of thing. Um, so... That, that's how I would describe it as opposed to obviously everyone was always like, you're so good with numbers and everything. I'm awful with numbers. I, Me I'm too. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but talking to people is what I really love doing. And um, that's kind of the heart of financial planning and obviously helping people in that sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I'll describe it. Uh, how, what about you? How would you uh, describe financial planning to those who might be uninitiated? Yeah. So once we get past the, no, I'm not an accountant conversation, Um, then normally I'll just say we help individuals with their super, their insurance, their investing, their tax, personal finance. We just help them with that kind of stuff. Um, I think a lot of times people assume financial planner means that you're working for a big business and you're planning a business's finances. So I always just say, no, we're just working with individuals. They let us know what their goals are and we help them achieve those really. Um, So I think at like a really core level, that's my overall description um, of a financial planner. But in both of our experiences, that's not always exactly the case. Um, we both, even though we're both financial planners, we do very different things. So Mitch, can you talk me through what kind of advice you do and what kind of planner you are? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I work at, uh, I suppose you'd call it a holistic um, wealth services business. So basically people come to us and uh, in the in the most broad sense, what I tell clients and what I try to achieve for clients is they come to us with whatever their financial situation is and we will help them achieve whatever their goals are. So in practical terms, that might mean um, we help them figure out their super, investing, um, debt management, cash flow, 
um, state planning sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, there's also aged care and things along those lines. So basically, um, those are the like the subtopics that we help with. Um, but being in that kind of business, uh, I mean, a lot of the time people talk about like, what do you do? And it is like, you know, we help people with superannuation or we help people with insurance or whatever it might be. Um, but I really like to kind of stray away from that because that's mm. not to, that's kind of like talking about the areas in, in how you can help or the areas mm. that you delve into. It's not what, what you do necessarily. Like that's mm. not what I would say that I do. I would say is that my favorite line of clients is that my job for them is to take away their financial stress, mm. um, especially in retirement. Like a lot of our clients are retirees or pre-retirees. My job is to basically take the stress off them about worrying about their financial future or allow them to retire comfortably and not have to worry about their money again. That is yeah. that is the goal that I try and achieve for every single one of my clients. Yeah, um, awesome. And that doesn't look like necessarily just a one-off writing a statement of advice and then leaving them to it. There's a bit of an ongoing relationship that comes with that as well. Is that right? Correct. So our business is primarily the relationship, um, which is where we see clients get the most value. So you might come in for like a one-off piece of advice and that might be, you know, you might save 30 grand of tax or whatever, or 30 grand of fees, some which way or whatever. Um, but the ongoing relationship is, is where we find the value for clients because we're, um, you basically become part of their trusted inner circle where they can just rely on you. And we'll get into some stories later on about, you know, what that actually looks like, but that's, that's kind of how I would describe kind of that side of the business and, and how that works for me. Yeah. How would, what about you? Cause I know you're a bit different to me in, in the type of business that you work in. Yeah, definitely. So when I first entered the industry, I was um, working in a similar, similar situation um, in a holistic advice firm across a range of different areas and where I'm working now, where I've been for the last couple of years, I work for a financial planning business that specializes in life insurances. So that's life cover, TPD or disability, trauma cover and income protection. So there's one specific scope of financial planning that we've decided to focus all of our attention on and just offer that service to clients that are needing that. Um, so it's, what's, it's a bit more of a specialized area. Um, and I always really liked insurance when I was working in financial planning. And I always thought that there wasn't enough focus on that. Um, so for me, it was a natural move um, into becoming a insurance specialist or what's often called a risk advisor. Um, and with that, as a part of my role, we work primarily with young people. So people in their 20s and 30s are our kind of main clients. Um, and because we are scaled, we don't cover everything. It means that our fees are a bit cheaper and therefore a bit more accessible for um, younger clients who are just wanting to get that path fixed out. Maybe they, they're on top of their budget, they're happy with their super, um, and they just need help getting that insurance component sorted out. And that's kind of where we come in. So a yeah. bit of a scaled yeah. version of what a regular financial planner does. Um, and you'll see, you know, there's, there's a range of financial planners that specialize in a range of things. Like you get investment advisors that focus specifically on that. And I know that that's an area that you're really into as well, Mitch. Um, yeah. But yeah, endless options out there for financial planners. Yeah. Uh, just curious. Obviously we have very different demographics and mm -hmm. very different um, ways of businesses are structured. What, what do you think that, would you say there are any challenges involved in being, you know, um, kind of specializing in that one area? Like, is there anything that you're like, yeah, that's actually hard in, in this sense or um, anything like that? Yeah, I guess one of the things is if, in a, if a client comes to us and they want help with insurance and they're also a bit unsure about their super, we do have to say, unfortunately, we'll have to refer you to someone else for 
super advice. And sometimes in my eyes, that you know, the answer is really obvious. I just want to give them the advice and help them out. Um, but because we've committed to just specialising in insurance advice, and that can often make it a bit harder in that way as well. So there are some restrictions that come with being um, a, a scaled advisor. Um, but I, I mean, I love what I do and I've gotten really good at being a specialist in that area um, to the point now where there are some advisors out there who don't like the insurance part of it. There's a lot of um, compliance and stuff that comes with that, a lot of risk involved. So we get a lot of full scope advisors who do amazing work for their clients across all areas of advice. And they'll just send their client through to us just to manage that insurance component. So really interesting, um, yeah, diverse kind of role, which I enjoy. Yeah, I can I can understand that because I like my situation is exactly what you just said. Obviously, mm. we do all scopes of advice, but insurance is something where it's very, like you said, it's very specific. And I feel like to really know it well, you almost need to be mm. <laughs> just focusing on insurance to, to really know your products and things like that. Um, yeah. Make sure you're doing the best by your clients. So, I mean, that's it's an area where I don't really like to delve into too much with clients because mm. it is it is very tricky, especially when you get some more complex situations. Yeah, and I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum to you, whereas yeah. when I was working in full scope advice, even though I enjoyed the investing part of it, it wasn't my strongest point. And I was nervous thinking, when I get to the point of actually being a financial advisor and I'm giving this advice and I am liable um, you know, for, for that advice, I was worried that maybe my skill set and my knowledge wasn't sufficient to be able to cover everything. Mm. Um, so that, I guess that was a, a benefit of going into more specific advice is that I could just be the master of the one thing and leave the investing stuff, um, to the gurus who are like yourself, who are really into that. So <laughs> pros and cons yeah, there. Yeah. I, I feel like that's like a really interesting point you bring up because I think a lot of people feel that way about different areas. Like I know mm. I work with a few advisors and, um, I know at least one of them when I originally started and, um, you know, they came on board and we had you know, a team of about five advisors, let's say. Um, and one of them was like, I'm really not strong on investing. And that was mm. like one area that she was really stressed about because she's like, you guys all know it so well. Yeah. You always talk about it. Um, but it was an area she didn't know particularly well. And it was really stressful for her because she's like, I just feel like she had a lot of imposter syndrome dealing mm. with that. But then it was so interesting because like she was incredibly intelligent at a lot of things that we were not as strong at, like Centrelink mm -hmm. or aged care or whatever it might be like or, or cash flow like it's she had so many areas that she was very strong at um, but that was an area that she was a bit weaker at mm -hmm. and I just think that was so funny because I was like but you're so excellent at this one <laughs> all these things that I'm really weak at so I feel like I have imposter syndrome um, yeah no I know exactly what you mean and I think for anyone listening who is wanting to become a financial planner maybe they do have areas that they're not super sure about um, it's not the end of the world um, I know a lot of firms that you know, have a bigger range of staff members and they have advisors that are really strong at this point. So they'll help you out with this area of advice. Or you may be, um, if you have a client and you're putting together a statement of advice, it may be a dual statement of advice where you're, you're um, putting your name on this part of it and another insurer is accountable for this other part. So I think the good thing to remember is that no one's ever going to judge you if you have areas that you don't like as much. Um, you can always just rely on the, on the people that you work with and you know, you can build those skills over time. You don't need to know everything the second you get out of uni. I agree. I mean, that's what a team's for, right? And I think mm. it's also pretty unrealistic um, to, to, to think you're going to be perfect at every single area or exceed at, you know, every single area because that's, I don't think I've met an advisor who is great at every single area. There's no. always areas where they're like, this might be my weak point. And as long as you kind of have enough to cover it, 
um, you know, like you said, you can go speak to someone who is their strong point and then mm-hmm. you can say, you know, is this, you know, strategy the best way to go or whatever it might be. And, and like, that's what teams are for. So. Yeah, um, exactly. And speaking of what our, um, our, our concerns and our expectations were when we were students, I'd love to know, Mitch, what did you expect your role to be when you were still studying at uni? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I didn't expect it to be like accounting um, mm-hmm. because I did an accounting unit and sorry for all the accountants out there, but I thought it was the most boring thing I'd ever done in my life. Um, wasn't, wasn't a fan personally. Um, I, I, had you done any like accounting units as Zara? Yeah, yeah. And I dropped them pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, so for me, um, it's a really good question because it feels like so long ago. So I kind of always thought of it like, you know, oh, you go in and you tell them these investments are really good and, you know, that's kind of your job and that's kind of all you do. Or I thought, you know, you come in and then you say, oh, this is the right product for you going to this. There you go. You're good. Move yeah. on kind of thing. Um, that, that was my experience. And obviously that didn't, obviously I don't think that's actually what it is, but um, yeah, that, that was what I thought it was. And, and now I realize that those things are all coming, like they all come out the back end. Mm-hmm. So it's all client focused um, and it's all dealing with a person, um, their needs, you know, what's bothering them in their life, where they want to get to. And then you work around that and sometimes products fall out the other end and that's just how it is. I mean, we, we don't receive commission or anything to, to get to provide certain products. So there's no reason for us to recommend any. Mm-hmm. Um, we just do it if we genuinely think it's in the client's best interests. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, what about you? What, what are your views on that? Yeah, so when I was in university, I got into financial planning because I really enjoyed budgeting. So I had the expectation that I would be helping people my age in their early 20s um, setting up budgets. And as I went through university, I obviously learned about a, a wider range of advice areas. But I was still surprised when I entered the industry to find that budgeting was a very small part of advice, mm. if any, depending on where you work. So I did end up for a short while working somewhere where my job was to help people with their cash flow and help yeah. people explicit, um, specifically with their budgets. Um, but yeah, for most advice advisors that are, at least I've spoken to, budgeting is a small part of that. Um, mm-hmm. if, but if you do have a certain area that you really like and you are expecting to do in your career, then there is probably a place out there that caters to that and will um, foster that in you and allow you to practice that. Um, so yeah, so that actually leads in really uh, well to what we do on a daily basis because you've got a, a good point there, Isaiah, where there's so much work involved. Um, and I think, and it's, you see with clients as well, um, where people, when they call up and they want to come in and they want to sit down for a chat, they just kind of think you're going to sit down, you're going to have a chat and you're going to tell them what to do and then they're going to leave and it's, yeah. it's all, all fine and dandy. Um, but the law says that basically any advice that you give to a client needs to be put in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in practicality, what that actually means uh, from an advisor standpoint is that you need to go in and have a meeting with the client. Um, you might need to have a follow-up meeting and gather all the information from them and um, collect mm-hmm. all their data to, so you can do your advice document. You need to then go away and do the research um, as a basis for all your recommendations. And then you need to then write up the document. Um, the document, you know, a statement of advice, depending on how big it is, could be anywhere from 20 to 100 pages long um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a rough guide. So that takes quite a lot of time to prepare. Yeah. And then from there, you've obviously got to then take that to the client, present it to the client, explain everything. They'll have questions uh, and then implement the advice. So it is, it is quite a long process. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people come and sit down and they think it's a, 
you know, a, a 30 minute job and then they're, they're gone and dusted. Um, obviously it's a bit of a shock when I tell them it might be like a, a month long process or something along, along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is a big challenge. Um, mm -hmm. I would say, um, but it, it is there for a reason um, because I, I like to um, sort of think of a financial planner, like a GP in a way mm -hmm. um, in the way that, you know, you're not a specialist, like you're not a surgeon, um, but you're there where people will come to you and they'll, they'll talk to you about kind of what's going on and then you can help them figure out whatever it might be. Um, and then if you need to send them off, you can, and then they can, mm. you know, you can refer them onto their, um, you know, mortgage broker or accountant or whatever it might be, if that's a specialist area that they need. Yeah. I really like, I really like that an analogy for sure. You're kind of looking at it holistically at everything they need and you're kind of putting a plan together to, to solve their financial health problems in a way. Yeah. And to do that, you need to know, you know, everything about the situation because um, mm -hmm. everything's intertwined. That's the thing. So um, uh, there's been times where we've worked with accountants and they've kind of said to a client to do X thing because it'll save them tax. Mm -hmm. uh, and that client will then come to us and let us know. And then we'll say, don't do that because yeah. that will completely lose your age pension. Mm -hmm. um, so it's balancing those things where you need to know a little bit about everything and, and how it all intertwines. Otherwise, yeah, you, you might actually be in a worse position um, more often than not. Definitely. And what parts of that role are you doing versus um, what kind of day-to-day -day tasks are other staff members in the business taking care of? Yeah, great question. So um, like I said before, a financial advisor is mainly about just going and speaking to people. Like that's yeah. the heart of the role. I'll, I'll probably put it like that. Yeah. So you go and you speak to the clients, you, um, you work with them to figure out what their needs are, what their goals are, what's suitable for them. Um, so that's a large part of the role. Um, then you've kind of got to do all the file noting and everything to talk about what happened in the meetings and all the mm -hmm. compliance requirements behind it. Uh, and then from there, you know, you might do the research. There might be some of your paraplanners might do some of the research, but typically once that's done, it'll go to paraplanning to write the device document. Um, you will then present it, um, answer the questions from the client. And then um, usually your uh, CSO administrator would implement that advice for you or with mm -hmm. you, depending on kind of the business that you run. Is that a similar structure to how it runs with you? Is that right? Yeah, definitely for sure. So um, my day-to-day -day is similar to yours being on meetings. And in our case, they're on Zoom calls because we don't have an office, it's all online. So a lot of meeting with clients, um, I'd say probably a big part of my role is once we've sent the advice to clients and they have follow-up questions, it's responding to their questions, making sure they're comfortable um, and making sure they understand the advice because that's definitely really, really important in financial planning. And then outside of that, it's a lot of um, having phone calls. So we have initial phone calls with the clients where we just ask some questions. Um, and then once we've got their information, we're putting together strategy. So a lot of strategy building. Um, and then we have a para planner who actually puts the document together. We have client services officers who gather the client's information and put them into the systems. And then once the client's decided that they'd like to proceed with the advice, it then gets passed on to our implementation team. And basically what they're doing is lodging the insurance applications, dealing with all the medical um, aspect of the role and making sure that the client gets their cover and force. Um, and from then, then on, it's really um, doing reviews. So still a relatively young business that I work in. We haven't got to the point of doing reviews um, often just yet. So that'll be a new learning curve for me in the next few months. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that ongoing um, relationship that comes with that as well.
Yeah. And that's a good point there to talk about. Cause I know we said in the last uh, podcast episode, we spoke about how it's all like a holistic team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think just it, it, like listening to that, you can see like all the, all the parts that go into it and all the effort from every member of the team and, and why it's also important. Um, yeah. And I think advisors get a lot of the, you know, they're a bit more flashy and everyone always talks about the advisors because, you know, that's the face of the person that they're speaking to, mm-hmm. um, which can be really good and, and, and really rewarding. But there's also times where, you know, parts of the process might not exactly work out perfectly or something might go wrong. Um, and at that point in time, even if it's not your fault as the advisor, you're the one who kind of has to take that blame because you're the person, the one that the person, the client speaks to. So sure. um, there are benefits and downsides to that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning as well. I remember when I was studying, um, I always thought that once I become a financial planner, I'd start my own business and I'd go at it alone. And it wasn't until I actually got into the industry and saw, if we said the, you know, the, the process of getting a, if the process of getting insurance advice in place, in place accounted of a hundred things, I'd say the advisor maybe does. 30 of a hundred things. Mm, yeah. So the idea of going out and starting my own business and doing everything myself now seems like a terrifying idea because I rely <laughs> so heavily on the support of the team around me who are experts in what we do. They do that's expert power planners, expert um, CSOs, expert implementation people. If I were to do all of that work, it would mean that I see far less clients and I can help far less people. Yeah. Um, so definitely, um, I know maybe it's not so much the the idea anymore, but I know that a lot of people at uni were planning on just starting their own business and DIYing. I'd say there's really, really good value in being a part of a team where you've got that support and you can learn from the experts in those certain areas. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, in the, in the last episode, we talked about how each role has their own strengths and, and, and weaknesses and things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure we'll go into it in a little bit about, you know, what, what's involved in being an advisor and what skills you need to have, but they are very different to a power planner or an administrator or something like that. And the, the reward you get from each role is so different. So mm-hmm. I know for me, I love being an advisor. Um, I've gone and done more or less every role to a certain extent, but being an advisor is what I love because I love talking to people and I love having those meetings. And, mm-hmm. you know, every person I speak to is so different and their stories are always so rich and they've lived such different lives and they always have such different challenges that every day is so unique and rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I go into a meeting and I might be in a meeting for an hour or two hours or whatever it might be. And that time just kind of flies by for me. Um, yeah. And I come out and I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe I was in there for, for that long. Cause I was just having a great time just listening to someone and having a bit of a chat, mm. um, which for me is really rewarding, but I know some other people where they, they try to do that and like, oh my God, this person just won't shut up. <laughs> yeah. I want to go and do all, I want to go do the numbers side of things. And yeah, yeah. I'm, that's just the kind of person I am. So yeah, totally. And are there any things that you do on a daily basis in your role that, maybe people don't expect a financial planner to be doing? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say there's a few elements to that as well, right? So it's not just meeting with people and, and preparing the advice documents. There's, like you were saying, about the ongoing relationships. So, for example, at the moment, as we're speaking, the markets have been a little bit volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of clients calling up and saying, you know, what's happening? What's happening with markets? You know, should we be worried? Should we not be worried? Um, and you know, sometimes I come up with like ad hoc things you need to assist with. Um, so I think something a lot of people wouldn't recognize, and we haven't spoken about it a lot so far is I think people, they really downplay the human element of being an advisor, which Mm -hmm. is the part that I love. Um, 
so in those moments, you need to be the comforting force um, for that person, the emotional support. Um, and one of the advisors, other advisors I work with has a really great saying um, with her experience advising, which is that she's not just a financial advisor. There are days that she comes in and she needs to be a marriage counsellor between mm. two people in a meeting. She needs to be a counsellor. There are days that, you know, um, she needs to be the emotional rock for some for someone because some people um, work, might be the only people that they have to really talk about those things. And if mm. something happens in their life, um, you know, we're the ones that they, they turn to and they go, this has happened. I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, and I'm really stressed and I'm really scared. And when you think what about happens? the range of information you know about these people in terms of their personal relationships, their finances, their medical um, situation, oftentimes you'll find that a financial planner might know more about someone than some of their close friends. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say that would definitely be the case, especially, I mean, long-term clients. Like I, I don't have any long-term clients yet, but um, some of the advisors I work with have clients that have been clients of theirs for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like almost like family, like their kids know each other and they're, yeah. they're really close. Um, and, and those relationships, I think, I think, I just think that's really downplayed or, or, or underestimated how close those people get mm -hmm. um, and how much of an emotional support, how much empathy and kindness um, and your ability to listen really plays into your role as an advisor. Um, I had a client the other day, for example, she was quite young, around 30. She had just gone through a divorce. I, and I had never met this person before. So it was a mm. brand new client. She just went through a divorce at 30. Um, she had some health issues that had come up. She was hating a job and she was looking to set up another job. She got the settlement offer. She had to move because of the had to move because of the divorce. So she was mm. leaving and her whole life has just turned upside down. Um, and it takes an awful lot of courage for her or anyone in that situation to come in to speak to some random person that you don't mm. know uh, and be like, this is what's happening in my life. I need help. What should I do? Uh, so as an advisor, you need to be trustworthy. You need to listen and you need to genuinely care because people pick up when you don't. Mm. Um, and in that situation with that client, we were chatting for maybe an hour um, and it was a great conversation. And, you know, I, I, we had chatted about a lot of things and she was so happy at the end of it, she cried because um, she was just so overwhelmed and so stressed about everything. And that conversation was all she needed to just bring her back down to earth, let her know that it was all going to be okay. Um, and that she, you know, she, she had it, she could do it and that she had a plan and she could move forward. So. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That gives me goosebumps. That's so nice <laughs> that you can do that for someone. Yeah. Just take that weight off their shoulders and know that they've got yeah. someone watching their back and looking after them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Love it. I think um, my old boss, he had a lot of long-term clients. He'd been in the industry for decades and um, he was close with his clients to the point that he spoke at one of their funerals. He was yeah. asked to speak and um, make a speech about his relationship with, with that person. And yeah, you really do get really close to your clients, which is um, a, re a real privilege and definitely something to take, you know, take very seriously. What would you say um, your favourite part of being an advisor is what are the things that you just love doing yeah um at the end of the day i think it's being able to help people mm -hmm. um because i think that is something that kind of gets again thrown to the wayside a little bit in the way that people are like you know you just work with money it's like uh you know they think you're um uh, what's that movie um 
uh, Wolf, Wolf on Wall, Wall Street. Street. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of think it's like that. And that's not what it is at all. Because it, it, like I said, it's all about people. And it's all about caring. To be a good advisor, you need to care about your clients mm. and you need to genuinely care. Uh, and you need to genuinely, you know, be able to support them and listen and grow. Um, so it's about helping those people. I, I love that reward, like I said, for for that client that I, those two clients that I've helped, I felt really good after mm -hmm. doing it because I know that I have made a difference in their lives and made things easier for them in a tough time. Um, I, like I said, I just love meeting so many different interesting people. They mm -hmm. all have such rich backstories and um, have gone through so many interesting things. And I think it's so interesting to, to talk to them and hear about those things. And it's um, yeah, really rewarding. Um, and that also just means that every day is, is so different for me. Mm -hmm. Like one day you'll come in and um, you might be like, oh, it's, you know, another day, I've got X number of meetings. Um, and then you go into one and then something exciting happens. Like I talk about, you know, this trip, I had a client talk to me about how they went and lived in, you know, Antarctica for like a year. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I want to hear more about that. And you, you know, you get that information out of them and, you know, it's, it's all, you learn so much and um, yeah, talking to those people is, is just so interesting, but that, yeah. that's my favorite anyway. I mean, what, what do you, what do you love about it? Yeah. And just on that as well, that's one thing I really loved about um, when I was working in holistic advice is that we similarly had a lot of clients who were pre-retirees, retirees, and they have, they, there's so much we can learn from mm. them. So as much as, you know, we're educating our clients about their financial situation, there's so much life experience that we can get from our clients, especially as younger advisors who have yet to go yeah. through the things that they've been through. Um, it's just, yeah, it's an incre incredible privilege to have those relationships. Um, but in terms of my favourite parts of the role, I'd say for me, it would be with getting life insurance and all that kind of thing sorted out. It's something that's on almost everyone's list, but it always gets pushed to the bottom. So for me, it's knowing that the client has got that weight off their shoulders. They know that they've got that sorted out now, they're fully covered um, and they can have the confidence to know that if anything happens to themselves or their family in the future, they're not gonna have to worry about money. Um, they're never gonna have to create a GoFundMe to cover medical expenses. They're never gonna have to rely on friends and family to um, provide them an income they know that if anything goes wrong you know if they if they get the call that they've got cancer they have a heart attack if anything happens if they are on you know if they're too stressed they can't work all they need to do is get in contact with us and we'll make sure that they um they get that money and make and ensure that they don't need to worry about the financial aspects of whatever stressful um and even traumatic situation they're going through so it's really good uh, it's a really big privilege to be able to give people that peace of mind for sure yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And what about on the flip side? What are the, the least favorite parts of the role for complete transparency and honesty? <laughs> yeah. So we spoke a little bit before about the compliance um, mm -hmm. and the frustration where sometimes you might really, I think you said it before about how you work in insurance and, you know, sometimes you have someone ask about super and you know the answer, mm. but you can't tell them the answer because then you're not considering everything and you might break the law and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you might get sued or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that can be really frustrating sometimes because you know the answer and you, you just wish you could give it to them and it's so hard because you can't and then sometimes people don't really understand that and they're like but I, I just don't understand why you just can't tell me mm -hmm. and you go well I really wish I could and if I could I would um, but the compliance part um, can be challenging um, so for those who don't know it is a you're working with money so it's a high compliance area or um there's quite a bit that needs to go into it. Mm -hmm. So basically any interaction that you have with the client needs to be documented and written down what was said and that sort of thing. Um, just to, so everyone knows what happened and to cover your own, you know, bacon if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I at times can find quite challenging. Um, 
And on that too, I think it comes down to change and adapting to change is a really big part of being an advisor mm -hmm. um, because rules change all the time. Like legislation changes, you know, every year about what's happening with contribution rules, super, whatever, compliance changes every year, depending on what's happening. Um, so staying on top of everything can be a challenge sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's something that I do find challenging. I do like the change because it makes things refreshing and, and mixes it up, but it can make it difficult in that way. Um, and I'd say probably the last thing, which I actually really love, but it might be a challenge to some other people, mm -hmm. Um, is that your job is to make the complex simple. So your job is to explain really high level complex ideas that you might have spent five years at university learning. Mm. And you need to speak it to someone who has never been to, might not have even finished high school. Yeah. And you've got to explain these concepts to them in a way that they will understand. Mm. Uh, and they can know and go, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And then, and then move on from there. So that can be a real challenge mm -hmm. for some people, depending on their financial literacy. Um, but that's kind of half the fun. I, I think that's really fun, but other people might find that really challenging. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, what about you? Do you find that something that part particularly challenging, or do you find that? Easy? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes when I'm in meetings with clients, I just want to nerd out and you know go through all the features and all the little <laughs> details, and they don't care about that, and nor do yep. they understand what I'm talking about. So, yep. yeah, you really got to scale back and say, okay, what's important to the client? What do they need to know, and how can I tell them that in a way that they understand? But I think that's a good thing as well, because I mean, it's like when you're at university, the, the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. Hmm. So the more you're explaining these complicated things in a simple way, you know, the, the better your knowledge is. So um, I think that, yeah, that's definitely a part of it. In terms of other things I don't like doing, I'll definitely second you on the compliance. That is a, <laughs> a huge pain in the butt sometimes. Um, and in terms of if you are not in the financial planning industry, maybe you're a plumber or you work in retail or you do any job, you can very freely have conversations with friends, random people, family about money. You can, you can give anyone financial advice and no one's going no to tell you otherwise because you're not a financial planner. You're not a plan pretending to be anyone. So one of the restrictions of being a financial planner is you can't then go on social media and say, hey, I invest in this or... I think this is really good or this is what I do with my finances because you're seen to be an expert and people will do what you say. I, before I was a financial planner, you know, I'd talk about, oh, I've invested, you know, I'm investing in this. And then a couple of weeks later, my friends were like, oh, I went, I went and invested in that because you, because you said that you do. And they <laughs> see me as someone who knows more about money. And that's a huge risk as a financial planner. If people see what you're doing as advice, no matter how you know well-intentioned it is or whether it's not whether or not it's meant to be that way, you do have a, um, a responsibility to be really cautious about the things that you're saying and who you're saying them to so that um, people aren't going to act on that and you know potentially down the line suffer losses as a result and that could result in you in you being sued. So um, a bit of red tape, you've got to be a bit more careful about. Um, what you're saying and how you're being perceived perceived as an advisor yeah it's a really really fine line it's like that mm. little tightrope you've got to walk in it it yeah that is a really challenging part I think yeah. and the reason I mean there's good reason which is that obviously let's say that one of your friends was in a completely different scenario to you and they, maybe they wouldn't have the money to invest and they should have done something else with it but they're like mm. well Azaria did it so that must be yeah, the right exactly. thing but then she does it and then for her it wouldn't have been the right thing and then she's like but why would Azaria do this which I'm sure your friends wouldn't do that to you Azaria of course but, not yeah um you know that's the kind of trickery that you've got to be careful of I suppose. yeah 100 percent. so yeah that's definitely um, a tough part of the role have there been any big career challenges that you've been through and 
how have you kind of overcome them being, you know, in the early stages of your financial planning career as an advisor? I think moving into an advisor role um, is very different from like a power planning role, which I think we would have spoken about last episode. But there are multiple challenges with being an advisor mm -hmm. in the sense that um, my personality is great with clients, but I'm not great at juggling a hundred things at once, yeah. um, which you tend to need to do as an advisor because you might have five people call you at once and say, I want this, 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 and you've got to make sure that all of those things are, um, you know, are done and you need to remember them and you need to get, you know, you either need to delegate for someone to do um, like a CSO or a power, power planner, or you need to do it yourself and you need to make sure all of those things don't get missed because if you mm. miss it, um, then you kind of aren't doing your job properly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the real challenge for me was it was getting to the point where you're like, okay, I have, you know, I need to do like 10 things all at once. I need to make sure none of them slip. I need to make sure I do it all this week. Um, and, and just being able to juggle multiple things at once and have so many things on the go and know where they're at was a real challenge for me when I first mm. started. Um, which is, I, I know we spoke about it um, last week, but uh, having like a to-do list or having my diary and putting things in my diary, or I have like a work in progress spreadsheet where I put in kind of everyone that I'm working on, where it's at, um, you know, who it's assigned to. And then, you know, once a week, I'll speak to those people and say, hey, where's this job at? Do I need mm -hmm. to do something? Do I not need to do something? Is it moving okay? Is it not? Um, and those are things that um, I was somewhat supported in by the rest of the people I worked with. And they kind of, indicator that was the right way to go mm -hmm. um and, and do something like that but of course everyone's slightly different right and need to build it out slightly different so yeah. for me it took me a while just to find my feet with that and get to the point where I can do all of those things and know you know have that sense of control because I, I like to have that sense of control and make sure I'm not letting it on down yeah. um so for me that was a real challenge um when I first moved into being an advisor mm. um yeah and, and like you got to get used to the soft skills with clients over time as well right like you've got to have that trusting environment and you need to be able to um, nurture and encourage that. Um, and sometimes when you first start out, that can be really difficult. Um, I'd be really interested as Aria, how did, how did you go with that when, because obviously you moved straight into like the advisor role. Like, was that mm. something you really struggled with when you moved straight to the advisor role or? Yeah, it was definitely something I was nervous about, but I was fortunate in the sense that the advisor I was working with when I first entered the industry had been doing that for decades and was mm. just such a pro. So before I even got to the point of speaking to clients myself, I was just watching an expert have those conversations and have those really sensitive conversations and talk about the uncomfortable things with clients. And just watching the way he dealt with that really gave me a lot of inspiration on how I was going to do that in my future career. Um, so that was really good. Just I think the value of having really good mentors and people to look up to and learn from mm -hmm. is really, really helpful when it comes to that. Um, but also in that sense as well, I'd say probably one of my biggest challenges was um, where I work now, I, I did my professional year here. And at the start of my professional year, I'd sit in on the client meetings and I would just take notes while my boss presented advice to clients. And the, the clients would ask questions and I'd think, oh, wow, yeah, that is a good question. I don't, I don't know the answer to that either. And yeah. my boss would just answer it with such ease. Like just, I just look at him and think, man, this guy knows everything. Like, hmm. I don't know how he does it. Um, and then over time, as I was progressing through my professional year, it got to the point where I'd be presenting the advice and my boss would be in the meeting watching and taking the notes. And I would put off those meetings as much as I could because I was so <laughs> terrified of being asked a question I didn't know the answer to. And um, I actually read, I read a quote today and it said, you don't need to be great to start, but you need to start to be great. Mm. 
So for me, it was a case of my boss just throwing me into the deep end and saying, I'm going to be here if, they, if you answer a question wrong, but you're going to attempt to answer the questions. And if you have absolutely no idea, you are going to tell them that you're going to check that and you're going to get back to them. And I had that today. And now that I'm an advisor, I had a question today that I was like, you know what, actually, I'm not too sure on that one. I'm going to get back to you. And the clients never bat an eye at that. Yeah. They are totally fine with that. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, just having the confidence and thinking, do I actually know enough to be giving this advice? Like, am I, am I actually an expert? And, you know, the more you do it, the more confidence you build up um, and the more knowledge you get. So the only way, the only way to get there is to just push through it, um, keep learning outside of meetings and, you know, answering those questions for clients. And once you've answered them, answered them once, you're going to know, know the answer the next time the client asks that question. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah. I, I remember those where I, I was also really worried about that. Like I thought that was a very daunting thing mm. is because you kind of, it, it, even if, I think even if you did a professional year and you, even if you sat in meetings for two years, the moment you got to do one by yourself, it is so different. <laughs> yeah. You don't have that safety net anymore. And that is really scary, but I think you're hundred percent right. And that is, that is the best thing you can do is if you don't know the answer to say, um, I'm not sure I'll just have to go check. I don't mm. know right this second. I'm just going to go look it up after this meeting and I'll let you know. And yeah. you're right people don't blink twice at that. They go, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, that's fine. And you can just say, oh, I don't, I don't have that answer on me. I can go look it up for you after this because there's so much you need to know. Like you can't be expected to know it all. No. And I remember sitting in meetings with my um, supervisor who, you know, had been in the, the uh, industry for, you know, 20 years. And he would have questions. There would be times people ask him things. He's like, mm, I'm not sure I'll look that up after the meeting. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's just part of being an advisor. And I think part of it is being okay with the fact that you don't know everything mm -hmm. and that's okay. Um, and you might not, even if you do know it, you might not remember, you know, right where you're having that meeting. Um, but people don't necessarily care just as long as you respond to it, acknowledge it and you get back to them. Exactly. So. And if you're pretending that you do know everything, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like clients know that you're human. You can't know everything. And if anything, they'd respect, uh, not too sure I'm going to get back to you on that more than they'd respect a uncertain answer that's clearly, mm. you know, may, maybe not the right answer that leaves the clients unsure and um, unsure of your capabilities. Yeah. So, yeah. That was, that was one of the first tips I got when I became an advisor was, mm -hmm. if you don't know, don't try and pretend that you know because the client will know um, and it's okay not to know and you can come back and you'd rather get it right rather than get it wrong and then have to come back, you know, and say, actually, I was incorrect in that this is the actual thing. And then it kind of makes it look like you didn't actually know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's okay just to, to not know. And I think that's one of the best parts is you've got to check the ego a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think the advisor, you know, works, you know, being an advisor works well in that sense, in the way that you really need to, to know what you know and know what you don't know and be willing to learn and grow. Um, and if you can do that, I think you'll be an excellent advisor. So yeah, totally agree for sure. We've spoken a lot about how having really great support around us has um, really helped us overcome those challenges and really helps us through the, maybe those parts of the roles that we don't love. Um, but I just wanted to ask, what are some of the things that you really value in your workplace and in your role as an advisor? That's a great question. Um, I really, yeah, I value my team, like you said, um, because like there are times where I just bring my administrator or CSO into a meeting and I'll say, I don't know the answer to that. I don't do the paperwork. She does ask her. She knows yeah. everything. She's a, she's an absolute gun. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate having that team, um, good mentors. Like you said, you know, um, my supervisor, um, my boss is an amazing person. Um, and to be able to learn from him and 
um, have him support me and teach me throughout my time as an advisor, I'm very fortunate for, very grateful for. Um, I am grateful that my job is so fast-paced and challenging, which sounds mm. like a bad thing, right? Mm. But I really enjoy that aspect of it because every day is is so different and so unique. Like I'm not coming in just doing the same thing every day. Every, mm. every day is different. Everyone's different. Um, and that can be challenging, but I like that challenge that it brings. Um, so those are some things that I, that I really love about my job and the people I work with. Um, and, and of course, the clients and being able to help them. Like I yeah. said, like having those tough conversations, getting through them, you know, genuinely helping people is just a great feeling. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really love that. Um, what about you? What's, what's something you really enjoy? Yeah, I definitely second um, what you've mentioned around having a great team. I couldn't do what I do without my team. And the mentorship that I've received from my boss has been absolutely priceless. I couldn't put a dollar value on all the knowledge I've got from him. So um, that would definitely be a big part of it. Another thing I really value is um, the flexibility that I have in my role in terms of, you know, working remotely. Um, I have a really understanding boss who, if you need to take some time out to go do this, he's not going to say, oh, if you're at the doctor's for 30 minutes, then just work an extra 30 minutes. Um, you know, really, really um, forward thinking and open-minded and very flexible, which I really, really value in my career. Um, and another thing I really value in my workplace is that everybody has a voice doesn't matter what your role is you're no more important than anyone else and if you notice anything in the processes or in the way we do our business that you think could be improved then um, you are more than welcome to present that to the team and make that happen Um, so I really like that it's a really equal playing field uh, in my workplace and we all work together because we all have one shared goal which is making life easier for our clients um, and delivering advice in the best way possible so I think um yeah, having a really, you know, a young forward thinking workplace has been a really great value to me. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so in terms of that, what kind of future aspirations do you have now that obviously you've kind of moved into an advisor role? What's what's next for Azaria? What's on the horizon? Oh, that's a good question. I, um, I love what I'm doing. So I definitely want to continue doing that. Um, I want to spend more time in front of clients. So for that, that has meant that um, having my own support staff. So I've got kind of got a version of that at the moment. We've recently um, restructured the team in a sense where I've got a power planner and a CS, sorry, a client services officer who help myself and my clients. So that's been really helpful, um, just allowing me to do the, the really valuable parts of my job. Um, so I'd love to keep doing what I'm doing work-wise and then adding to that in terms of things that I do outside of work. So projects outside of work. One of my goals has always really been to try to get financial education into high schools. So um, that's a project that I'd really like to work on that I think would, um, you know, feed well into what I do at work as well. So in terms of big aspirations, yeah, helping helping school students as well with their finances as well as the, um, the awesome clients that I help on a daily basis at work. Yeah, no, that's really excellent. I, I mean, I second that. I think that's like an, I, I, I actually really feel quite passionate about that as well. I mm. think that's um, something that isn't taught enough. Um, and I think it can have a huge impact with, with you know, students. Um, mm. So I think that's, yeah, very admirable. So yeah, definitely. Good, yeah. Good on you. And what about yourself, Mitch? What's next for Mitch? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I, I also really enjoy what I do. Um, for me, it's about building up my client base and, um, you know, getting to see as many people as I can and have, you know, have as many 
um, really solid clients that I can support as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, kind of build out um, the education piece outside of work, like you said, as well, like um, helping university students understand what financial planning is um, and helping raise awareness and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, that, that's probably what I've got in store. Yeah, and this may be a good chance for us, Mitch, to plug the um, the things that we do with the FPA. So for both of us, as we mentioned, we are really passionate about spreading the word about financial planning, personal finance, um, and you know, making sure that the younger generations have the tools to um, equip themselves and be strong in their finances. So Mitch and I are part of a uh, network in the Financial Planning Association of Australia who aim to spread the word about financial planning, um, let people know what financial planners do, and also encourage more people to get into the financial planning industry. Um, So Mitch, how long have you been doing that for? Uh, I think this is my third year. Yeah, I think think I'm about the same. So the good thing about the Financial Planning Association is if you have any aspirations outside of, you know, just doing your your day-to-day job, there's so many opportunities. Um, and I'm sure Mitch can attest to this as well. Throughout my mm. entire career in financial planning, the FPA have been a huge resource for me and a huge support in anything I want to do, including this podcast. So if you do have aspirations outside of just your role, um, get in touch with the FPA. If you're a student, make sure you're a part of the FPA student membership. They're always putting on webinars, events, um, and opportunities to meet people in the industry. So I definitely um, plug that one and say that's a really good thing to get involved in. Yeah, I would second that. I think it's just a great way to network and meet other, you know, like-minded people and to really learn more about the industry and um, make a lot of good friends. And mm-hmm. yeah, just just meet maybe other people your age too. If you are a younger person studying or going through uni, um, doing financial planning, there's a ton of other people you'll meet that are going through and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great way to connect with those people um, and yeah, learn from them and they can learn a bit from you. And yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And outside of becoming an FBA student member and getting involved with the FBA, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to become a financial planner? Yeah, great question. Um, there are two parts of that that I'd probably say. Um, and the first part is that obviously we've spoken a bit uh, throughout this episode about, you know, not maybe having a little bit of that imposter syndrome and being a bit scared to talk to clients and do that sort of thing. So the first thing I would say is just know the value of your experience. Mm. You have been at uni, you've worked hard, um, especially if you've come up through the ranks and done all the other bits. Have faith that you know what you're talking about uh, and you should have confidence in yourself um, because that can be the hardest part. Like you can be your biggest enemy in in a a role like this um, and you just need to at least have faith um, that you know what you're doing and you can do it. And if you can do that, um, you'll be great. Mm -hmm. And the second part is something I've also spoken about, um, which is um, if you want to be an advisor, again, it's it's not necessarily the technical knowledge, it's the, the people knowledge. Mm. Um, and there's a great quote that someone at work said to me today, which is, it's not about what you know, it's how you go about explaining it. Mm. So it's not about, you know, explaining those, con- you know, it's not about knowing all those information. You can, you know, have the, the, the highest level of technical knowledge in the world, but if you can't explain that to a client in an easy and simple way, you just won't be a good financial planner, um, mm. straight, straightforward. So it's about being able to talk to people and, and relate to them and, and have empathy and that sort of thing. So I would say if it's something you're interested in, yeah, definitely um, look to improve those elements of how you talk to people. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great advice. Absolutely. What about you, Azaria? Oh, what about me? I would probably say that 
so much of um, the value I've gotten out of my career has come from the people that I know. And I didn't know anyone in financial planning before I started. Um, never heard of financial planning before I started at uni. Never met a financial planner before. Um, but through my involvement at uni, you know, getting to know my lecturers really well, getting involved with the FBA, um, attending networking events, I built a really, really um, strong support network around me of financial planners and people in the industry who build me up when I need it, um, provide me with really good opportunities and um, can be great resources to me um, in my career. So definitely build a strong community around you, chat to the people that are in your lectures with you. They're going to be, you know, your future peers in the industry. Get to know your, um, your lecturers at university. They, they have tons of connections um, and make sure you go to events. And another thing that I do when I was um, starting out in financial planning is I just added people on LinkedIn like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't met these people but if I wanted to work for them one day or if I thought what they were doing is interesting I made sure I added them and I was active on LinkedIn so if I was going to an event I'd post about it just so that people would you know start to see my name and recognize my name and recognize my face um, and kind of build a bit of a maybe a bit of a profile before I even had the influence um, of being a financial planner so even if you're not a financial planner yet doesn't mean you haven't got a voice, doesn't mean you don't have valuable input. So make sure you are, you know, loud and proud and, and say what you want to say. I don't know if this is part that we that we want to have in here, but just, just to tell you on that, I, I was speaking um, before, Azara, to you about how I even have the person I work with and I spoke to him today. He's like, yeah, I know Azaria. Yeah, I've seen her on, and do all these things. And like, you've never met this person. Like, this is someone I work with. And it, obviously that's worked for you because he, he knows who you are, um, even though you've never met him and you're yeah. in a completely different state. Um, but obviously you've done such a great job of getting your name out there that he's like, yeah, I know that person. Wow, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, and I, I credit that to, I mean, now I'm just, you know, I'm a financial planner. I, I'm not, not out there too much, but I think when you're at uni, you have such a unique opportunity to get to know people, to get to put your name out there to do things outside of the box because you're not you're not boxed in to anything at that point um so yeah I think like the networking events getting involved in the FPA chapters and things like that just like what you've done as well Mitch is does so much not only for your resume and your career but um building a reputation and building um yeah I guess some kind of positive perception of yourself. And I think that also helps as well um, in terms of, you know, we've done our studies, we've got our work experience, but we've done things outside of that. And that has given us, you know, more leverage and more opportunities in our career. I think, you know, by being involved with the FPA and doing the things that we do outside of work, it makes you that much more employable. And it also just adds to your, you know, your experiences. So I would say, don't, don't aim to just go to university and then do your nine to five. If you love what you're doing, and you probably do if you're getting into financial planning, if you're listening to this podcast, see, see what else you can do. How else can you um, integrate that into different parts of your life? Yeah, 100%. Get that passion out there. If you have that passion, you need mm -hmm. to let people know and get engaged with different things. And like I think we said it in our last episode, passion is what will get you a job yeah. um, by people knowing how passionate you are. And these, these things show how passionate you are because you aren't getting paid for it. You're doing mm -hmm. it because you love it and you love talking about it. So that's yeah. it. And maybe after this, Mitch, we can have a chat about how we're going to get financial education into schools. Yeah, that sounds good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that kind of wraps up everything that I wanted to touch on today. But Mitch, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I've really loved reflecting on um, our career so far and, and what we're looking forward to in the future. So thank you. 
No, thank you. Always good to have a chat. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. For great resources and a free student membership, find us at fba.com.au. Good advice makes for great futures.